Hey guys, producer Mikey here. This one's sort of a content dump for you to take into your weekend listening experience. Yeah, we want to get this stuff out not too late into the season because it's the uh, remainder of Ethan's division preview pods that he really pushed himself to the brink on. And at the end, I added on a segment from Riley's Bounce Pass podcast that he was nice enough to have me and Brett on. And we got way too specific into the, uh, the minutia of the trailblazers as we are wont to do. And if you want to hear the rest of that conversation, please hop on over to the Bounce Pass podcast where Brett and Riley go in-depth on a Bulls season preview. Uh, there's not much of a transition since we recorded the pods several days apart, but like I said, just a content dump. Thanks for listening, and please stay to the end. We've got plenty more good stuff in store. All right, here comes Ethan. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Overstated NBA Show. It's Ethan again. Fifth podcast in a row. I just keep churning these out like absolute gangbusters. I am tired. I am exhausted. And we're one day away recording this on a Monday night from the tip off the NBA season. So my original thought was to split up the last two divisions I had to cover was the Pacific Division and the Northwest Division. And I texted Mikey and I'm just like, man, if I have to do two more podcasts in the next 24 to 36 hours, I am going to like find closest bridges near me and promptly throw myself off. Don't worry. It was going to be a small bridge into some water. Can still do it. Not quite wintertime in Minnesota. No worry about me crashing through any ice. Fuck it. We're doing five. We're doing five podcasts, not six. We're doing five. We're combining the <laughs> last two divisions into one power hour of an episode. And if I'm going to be doing this all by myself, churning it out as quick as I can. I think it was time for a reunion episode. Typically, we need those to boost ratings. I know sitcoms have done it in the past, but it's time to bring the band back together. And speaking of the word band, that's what the letter B is for. The B-Team podcast is back. Welcome back. I've got Adler. I've got Mikey. We're going to bang out the last two divisions before the NBA season starts tomorrow. Let's start with Adler, Mr. Overstated Connect. Welcome back to the show, man. How are you? Overstated B team and the B stands for bang one out tonight. All right. Look, hey, speaking of reunion, boys, it's good to see you again, Ethan. I haven't seen you since that Bass Fisher Pro Man tournament in Vegas earlier this summer. Mikey, you were there too, and you look just as good as ever. It's good to be here, y'all. Let's get loosey goosey tonight. I'm more stressed to do this podcast tonight than I was playing the ponies that entire time in Las Vegas. And I looked like I was at the absolute <laughs> end of my rope in all of those screenshots. I'm trying to make $4 bets. I'm sweating out every single one out of every pour. There's no sweat coming out. It's just gin. It was day four in Vegas. I, man, I'm, I think ready those- to get the, I'm ready to get this done. I'm ready for the season to start. I'm ready to stop making predictions that are going to get held against me later down the road. I'm ready to just start reacting to shit. That's way easier. Let's go. I, where do you want to start? You got two. You got two divisions. You want to go here, Pacific, and as you call it, the Central. But you're dead wrong. It's the Northwest. So, where do you want to start here? You lead the way. Oh man, see, we're already off to the races. This is great. Let's start with your team, since I don't have to talk anymore tonight. Let's start with the <laughs> your team is coming in, coming close to trying to make another conference finals run, maybe another finals run. You finally brought in some veteran talent, a little bit of leadership that your team desperately needed and a guy named Chris Paul. 
Adler, how are you doing coming into the season, buddy? Nobody's been punched. No one's been talked about in trade rumors. We've moved on from timelines to time horizons, dare I say. And now you're Honestly, the, the horizon is so much prettier. It's got some red hues, some blue hues. It's just way more aesthetically pleasing. But look, I can't I can't be more hyped about this team. I so on my pod, uh, I've had three guests in total. One of them has been released. Two of them recorded this weekend. I think it's going to drop the same day this was. I've got an early plug coming on here. But all three guests, I asked the same question after every pod. What is your final prediction and who is the winner? I've had three people in a row without knowing the answers that the other person previously gave predict the Warriors to win the 2024 NBA championship. Two of the matchups were Warriors uh, Bucks. All right, those were two of them. And the third one was a Warriors 76ers prediction that I just think was fantastic. But either way, Steph Curry, ring number five, LeBron, we're coming, MJ, we're coming, Pippen, we're coming for you too, all right? That, all I'm saying. like total pandering to the host. I just want to say, Ethan, the Minnesota Timberwolves are going to win the championship this year, by the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot to mention that Mikey's look, here. Look, during they do entire, what I pay during, them for, okay? Entire, doing that entire monologue, Mikey was making the grossest stink face I've ever seen. And I think it's really hard <laughs> to put into words how much uh, the two of us combined really just don't want to see the Golden State Warriors in another championship. I just don't think it's fun anymore. It's not fun to watch the same team make the finals over and over. We love to talk about parody in the NBA. We haven't had consecutive title winners. I just want to keep that going. Let's just let's throw somebody else in there for fun. It's Minnesota's fault for the first place that we even won the last one. So I don't even want to hear anything from your side here. But look, their over-under was set at like 47 and a half, something like that. I've got them at 55 plus wins. I think this is a one or two seed in the West. I think it I think they're behind Denver, to be fair. I would pick Denver coming out of the West. I think it's gonna be a Denver Golden State Conference final showdown, and it's gonna be awesome. But uh Golden State is for real. Jonathan Kaminga is gonna make the leap. He's already made the leap in the preseason. And the best part about it is when you look at his stats, you know, when you look at just the numbers and you don't look at the game tape, it comes off as like he's trying to be the number one option, like his potential said he could be a la Paul George, whatever the case may be. But in reality, what's happening is he's just taking the looks that they're giving him and he's making them. His percentages are through the roof. He's making open threes. He's driving to the lane. He's getting fouled and he's playing within the game, which is really what I think Kerr wanted to see. Um, and on top of that, he's rebounding the hell out of the ball. Uh, he is crashing every single board. He's putting the effort in. And I think that the benching that he took in the playoffs last season, I think a lot of young guys would have gotten shunned from that. Maybe even, you know, ducked their heads down and, and said, fuck this. Give me on another team. I need to make some money on my next contract. I need opportunities. And uh, Kaminga seems to have taken it to heart. And I don't know how much the influence of Chris Paul played in that. Um, for the fact of me being a homer, I'm going to say Chris Paul is everything to it right now. But who knows? Maybe that's just Kaminga's makeup. Andre Iguodala has a lot of really great things to say about him and the way he works off the court. There's been a lot of good reports about the way that he's been studying off, you know, uh, during the offseason, watching film, uh, playing within the system, playing two-man game with Chris Paul in the pickup games. I just think that this year is, uh, yeah, I've got a boner right now. It's awesome. It's incredible. Go Warriors. I don't, what else do you want me to say? They're, they're amazing. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Well, I didn't want you to say that you had an erection live in the podcast, but I guess we've already crossed oh, that. Should we expose text from earlier in the podcast then? No, because there we go. Move on was, then. That wasn't related to that. We don't share screenshots. <laughs> we don't share our private correspondences because I would not be trusted with this microphone if I, I did any of that. But at the end of the day, like I look at your team and there, there are some things that I liked and moving off of Jordan Poole is obviously one of the things that really stood out to me. I feel like you guys had, 
I don't want to say he was like a cancer to the locker room, but you really looked at what he did and he was just doing some boneheaded shit. And if you guys are trying to capitalize on Steph and Clay's window, then making the moves that you did, I guess sort of makes sense. My, my only real question is I do want to talk about Chris Paul and what effect you think he's going to have on the team. Obviously they've done some, pondering to see if he can start alongside both Curry and Clay. I don't understand how that super small lineup would work in today's modern NBA with everybody getting bigger and stronger and skinnier and longer and just absolutely more difficult to match up against. Like I'm trying to imagine uh, a Warriors Wolves matchup, obviously with Gobert off the court because that won't work, but we take into effect all the other length that our team has the newly re-signed Jaden McDaniels today. How do you think that your team, especially with those small ball lineups is going to match up against those longer teams that have kind of understood that the Warriors have done this for years and years, and they might actually have them figured out. What new thing is Chris Paul bringing to the table that you guys haven't done yet? He's bringing versatility to the start, to not just the starting lineups, but whatever lineup Kerr wants to put out there. And I think that's what the subtraction of Jordan Poole is really going to benefit more than anything, more than necessarily like a talent for talent swap. Having Chris Paul allows you to mix and match like you never could before. So if you want to say, oh, well, how is Chris Paul uh, Steph Curry and, uh, you know, whoever, you know, in, insert, you know, pods, clay, whatever on the court at the same time together. Well, cool. Put CP as the, uh, you know, the main lead ball handler on the second unit. And you can put Gary Payton in that role in the starting lineup. If it means shutting one of your, you know, if it means getting some extra pressure on Anthony Edwards, the lineup is much more versatile than once before. We can mix and match players and matchups way better than we could the year before, especially with the emergence of also of one Moses Moody, who I think on the perimeter is a lot better of a defender than he gets credit for in his young career. But honestly, that's what it is with, with Jordan. He wanted to do a certain thing. He wanted to play a certain way and he was not accepting a certain role that they were asking of him which left the lineups very limited. And on top of that, if you want to call Chris Paul a, uh, 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 someone you can hunt as a matchup in the playoffs due to his size, I think that's fair. I'm not going to argue against that, but he sure puts a hell of a lot more effort into it than Jordan Poole did. And at least on the team scheme side of things, he's going to fit in better. On top of that, we're not going to be having the ball go out of bounds off someone's foot every single time on offense. It's going to be a clean play. If, if the number one option does not play out, Chris Paul's going to take the ball, reset, let's run another pick-and-roll unit. It it really just brings versatility, and um, it just an, an unlocks lineups that could not be unlocked last year. That's a fair assessment. I think what you said is pretty accurate. You, you take out a guy who was pl- effectively playing for himself, playing for that next contract, playing for more minutes, trying to get as many points as possible, and you substitute him in with a guy who's been around the league and I think will be more accepting of that role. Just like, He's also addicted to championships. Like we need more addicts on our team. Exactly. Like you need to, you need to give him his fix. It's been so long. He's been jonesing for it. You got, you got to get him back into the fold. But again, kind of like your team, the San Francisco 49ers, you guys are a system team and you guys do a really good job when you play within that system. And unfortunately your system can only get you so far. Obviously I say that, no, you won a championship in the past two years, but I don't know. You, you guys are down to the Vikings right now. I, I hate to break it to you. We're obviously recording this on a Monday night, but it's, it's tough. We're coming down to the wire. We'll probably be done with the game by the end of this podcast, and we'll see if Adler's demeanor changes by the time we uh, unplug the mics here tonight. Well, here, you want you want to keep shitting on it? That's fine. Get, let me let me get your last prediction that I'm going to hold against you for the entire year. Move Give me up. a Golden State win total. A Golden State win total. Uh, your over-under is 47.5. I think that's a pretty... I think you guys could go over. I'm going to say you guys are going to win 49 games. I can't quite give you 50. I'm going to give you 49, just like the San Francisco 49ers, who, just like the Warriors this year, will not win a championship. Jesus fucking Christ, Ethan. 
<laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, Adler. I missed you so much. <laughs> all right, let's move on for the Golden State Warriors. Like I said, we're going to power through all these teams. We got nine more to go, baby. Let's jump to the Phoenix Suns. Over under win total is 51 and a half. I'm very, very high on this team in the preseason. They've looked like absolute gangbusters on the offensive end. I made the bold prediction that Bradley Beal is not only going to be an all-star, but also play 82 games on our awards predictions podcast. I feel really good about one of those things after the preseason. You also said Ben Carroll was going to win most improved player. All right. So I don't know much how much validity you have here. Look, validity is one thing, but I am a person with a microphone on a podcast listened to by dozens of people. So speaking truth to power, I believe that I have the authority to say what I can. And at the end of the day, I'm really high on the Phoenix Suns. I think 51 wins or 51 and a half for their over under is a little bit lofty considering how their roster is kind of shaken up. I think there's going to be a good amount of load management coming into the season, even though with all that data that says it doesn't do anything, I still think this team is going to be one that kind of takes the regular season off. They're going to make their noise. They're going to play nice and slow. They're going to get up for their big games. But if you're playing Washington on a Tuesday night, I'm sorry, fans of the Washington Wizards, I doubt you will see two out of the three of KD, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal playing in that game. And that's kind of the tough part. That's what I kind of want to hold against them. I think they're going to lose more games than they actually need to. Their depth is a little bit concerning, considering they just grabbed a bunch of guys off the bargain bin. But at the end of the day, no more Keon Johnson either. I know. Keon Johnson. Mikey, how do we feel about Keon getting the boot there? Yeah. Learn how to speak Chinese, buddy. I mean, just not an NBA player. Like. And real quick, I, Ethan, I agree with your uh, analytics of the Suns, by the way. But I didn't. I don't know if I didn't. If I missed a clear answer or what. But are you saying even with all of that, they are going to at least hit their their win total of fifty one and a half, or where do you have them falling in? Like that's the thing. Like I don't know what level of effort they want to put in. Like if the the game plan coming in is we just want to beat the hell out of everybody, then I could see them winning fifty eight, sixty games relatively easily. If their mindset is we're just going to make it to the playoffs and then we're going to turn it on kind of what the Lakers did last year. Then I could see them just really phoning it in. Like if we shoot for like a 47, 48 win total, get a first game home series advantage. I think that's probably the more likely reason that they shoot for. But what I'm just saying, like what if Bradley Beal comes in and he's just like, I want to prove to everybody that I'm still one of the best players in the league. I'm going to play 65, 70, 75 games and absolutely shoot the lights out. As your third option, that's fantastic. Like, you look at all the other big threes that have been assembled, I don't think any third option has been at the same level as Bradley Beal. Like, if you compare him to Bosch or to Kevin Love or to any one of those, like, traditional big threes, like, Beal comes in, like, he could he could average 27 points a game this season. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. I, I hear what you're saying with that, and I'm not saying I disagree, but I think one thing that we're not really taking into account consideration is I think the person with the biggest, I don't know if it's a chip or something to prove or um, at least feeling that he's got to be the top dog now is Devin Booker. And I think Devin Booker really controls what their win total is this year. Um, I've said it on I said it on my pod that I'm going to be releasing on Tuesday morning right on the same time as this one. I'm with Brother Court on this one. Uh, Court, Court's been whispering to me for a long time push the under on the Suns, and I really do believe that and it's less of a talent thing and it's more of the margin of error is so high for them like if everything goes right if 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 what you're saying is true Bradley Beal is motivated and plays 65 70 games Kevin Durant doesn't get hurt and plays another 65 70 his skill is you know he's clearly still one of the best players in the league when he plays it's just a matter of durability if all of those things come together and you've got Devin Booker going, hey, this is officially, not officially, it's been his team, but this is now the last stand as it being 
his team, I think. I think every piece that he grew up with that supported him during that early initial success is gone now, and he is the last one remaining. So I think this team goes as far as Devin Booker takes them. Having said that, because of the durability issues with Kevin and with Bradley, and and it's less of even a durability, more just they're vets. They're probably not going to want to play every game. They they Like you said, they're... Who cares about the regular season? Just get in. They're talented enough to make it deep if you just get in. I've got a hard under on this. I've got I've got 45, 46 wins, kind of something like what the Lakers did last year, but maybe with just a slightly better start to the season, not going, you know, one and nine or whatever the case may be. Um, but I don't like their center position. I don't think uh, Nurkic can defend very well. I get the fit offensively with his ability to make decisions from the high post, but defensively, it's just... I don't see it. I don't think the depth that they got from Aiton is going to be enough. It's going to be, I think it could be valuable, a little Grayson Allen action, something like that, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, I do think they have conference finals potential, and when you've got KD and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, you've got any potential you want, really. You want, really. But I just think when you put it all together, I see a conference semis, maybe a push for the conference finals with this team under 50 wins. So my last question on the Phoenix Suns before we move on to the probably the Lakers is the next team that I want to jump to Uh, through 30 games. What does the Suns record need to be for our good friend Blunt Doctor to come back to the group? What are you thinking as far as the the hubris he'd need to come back and show his face again? One and oh, two and oh, he's back. Three and oh, I (laughs) honestly, as long as there's a zero on the other end. (laughs) If they're winning, if they're winning, he'll be a front runner. That's all I'm going to say. Doctor, come on the pod. You can't yeah, get on the pod. Blunt Doctor, come hang out, man. We, we we miss you. We miss you so much. All right, but let's talk about Los, long. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Los Angeles Lakers, their over-under win total is the same as the Warriors, 47 and a half wins. They made a lot of moves. They signed a billion players. I don't know how they still have that many roster spots. Obviously, when they get down to their 15, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. But they've got a lot of guys who I really, really like. They've got a couple of guys who I don't really like. Uh, they stole away Torian Prince for next to nothing. I still don't know why we just let him walk and sign a one-year minimum. Um, but then for every Torian Prince, there's a Christian Wood, who was minus 35 in their preseason game against Phoenix. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what you think of this roster as a whole. Um, I think they drafted really well. Hood Shafino, I think, is going to be a contributor if he gets the time. Um, obviously, I think that's contingent on a D'Angelo Russell trade. Uh, but they were able to re-sign Rui Hachimura re-signed Austin Reeves in a bidding war that I feel like nobody really participated in, but they just brought him back in a really team-friendly deal. And at the end of the day, it's going to be year 21 for LeBron. 21 years in the NBA for LeBron James. LeBron James's career can buy a legal beer. And that blows my mind because I still remember when he was drafted and that really puts into perspective <laughs> how long ago it was when I was rocking out NBA Live 04 on the PC so many years ago. Adler, what are your thoughts on the Lakers? Quick shout out NBA Live 05 slam dunk contest. The best physics of all time. Uh, I, I I have an over on the Lakers on this. Uh, Christian Wood sucks. No doubt about it. He's the James Wiseman of that team. Got to get a couple second round picks for him if you can, if you're Palenka. I also do think that D'Lo, no matter how well he plays and no matter what the record is, it will be traded by the trade deadline. That, that contract was signed to be traded, and I have full belief in that. I think the main benefit for the Lakers this season is the confidence in what their big three is going into it in terms of shot priorities. Last year, they were figuring Austin Reeves out. They were figuring a lot of things out, but Austin Reeves ended up emerging as the number three on that team. And going into this year with that being kind of embedded, 
you know, knowing the game plan going into it, I think that's going to be a big help for them. And I think just by avoiding that, like one in nine, one in 10 start they had last year alone, even if they go 500, let's say, I think that right there puts you at their over under total. And I, you know, LeBron still has it. Maybe he plays 45 games, who knows, but in whatever 45 games he plays, he's still 25, eight and eight. That's just, that's just who LeBron is. AD looks like he came in motivated the his games against the Warriors in the preseason he seemed very energetic on the court and when he played he was dominant uh so I've got a Lakers over on this one I don't think 50 wins is necessarily the reality but I think anywhere between 46 and 49 is kind of where I'd fall into give me like 47 what do you think I also think that there's finals potential here. I just want to be very clear about that. Yeah, there's, there's finals potentials with the Lakers. There's obviously finals potential. Unless they keep uh, I think they ran into an absolute buzzsaw on the Nuggets that I don't think they were quite ready for. I think by the time that they got into that series, they were a little bit more tired than I think they wanted to let on. And at the end of the day, like Denver was an absolute buzzsaw going into that entire playoffs. Like they were, they were able to really just dominate every single game. What I think they need to do, obviously, as soon as you can trade D'Angelo Russell, I think you have to do it because I'm also really high in Gabe Vincent in the system. I think he was a phenomenal signing that they brought him in from the Heat. I think he's going to be one of the rare Heat players when he leaves the hashtag Heat culture. He went into a great system where all he has to do is facilitate for awesome players. And even if he doesn't work out, like you said, with Austin Reeves in those playoff series, he got was really able to facilitate a lot of that offense when D'Angelo Russell was unplayable or when you don't want to have the ball in Dennis Schroeder's hands, LeBron and AD trust Austin Reeves, an unproven guy when he was coming out of college out of Oklahoma to run that offense and run it effectively. And I think that's a, as high a praise as you could have anywhere in the NBA uh, is when you have that trust in LeBron to have the ball distribute for him because not many people outside of, like a Kyrie or anybody like that in his entire career, has he trusted to have the ball in their hands and say, go ahead and go to work for me. Like I remember Mario Chalmers years and years, he trust Mario Chalmers, but he would also scream his head off at him at any possible opportunity. And I'm still waiting for him to lose it on Austin Reeves, but I think they have such a good relationship. I think he's actually going to be able to carry that offense as best he can. Even if you are stuck with D'Angelo Russell for the time being, or Vince, it doesn't work out. LeBron has emotional problems, man. But look, just real quick, Austin Reeves was on the uh, Russillo Live podcast that dropped uh, uh, Monday morning. One little quick snippet from that when they asked him about his series with the Nuggets prior. He did know <clears throat> throughout their series with Memphis, even though I think at one point they were up 3-1, they were shooting like 30% from three, and they were still dominating. There's a lot of room for improvement with this team. Uh, that's all I'm going with it. And we'll, we'll move on from there. I know we need to bust through this. A team that has accumulated a lot of talent, <laughs> and but is yet to bust through to the threshold that I think they <laughs> had aspired to in the early years. There's a new arena coming. You got extra leg room. You get a chance to charge your phone. You might be able to get, I might be able to get a better seat in that new Clippers arena that I'd be able to get on any flight in the United States. Still probably won't get a chance to get out there. Still probably won't be able to afford a ticket if Steve Ballmer has any chance to price those. Let's talk about the Los Angeles Clippers. Their over-under is right about in that mid to high 40s range once again. Like, And we keep talking about this team as what they could be as opposed to what they've actually been, which has been ultimately, I don't want to say a disappointment, but if you look at the accumulation of talent that they've had ever since that Paul George and Kawhi Leonard decided to team up together, Everyone thought that this team was going to be a shoe in the bubble happened, countless nagging injuries. And all of a sudden we're set for another year of the Paul George and Kawhi Leonard experiment. And I'm not seeing any particular reason to feel any more optimistic than I felt any other year than I've had to look at this Clippers squad. I mean, 
we get a full season of Russell Westbrook in the fold. That'll be exciting to watch from afar. But at the end of the day, like their draft didn't inspire me. I still have a couple of questions about their bench. They trade for Bowden's Highland just for him to get in fights with Mason Plumley on the sideline. I just still don't know what to think of this team at all. I don't know if they, they, they need to get butts and seats for their new arena. So if there's any incentive for them to win, it's that, but I don't see them making enough noise or having enough consistency health wise to really have a puncher's chance in this absolute bloodbath that is going to be the Western Conference this year. Now, when you say all this, are you assuming, assuming this with James, James, James Harden, Harden or without James Harden? And, and again, that, that trade situation is really weird too, because it becomes the same scenario that the Heat were in, where the Clippers have no incentive to really raise their own bid, and Philly has no real incentive to take that bid. I, I don't know what Harden's going to do. Obviously, he's away from the team right now. I'm still not sure it's guy who's picked him in fantasy if he's going to play on Thursday to kick off the season. But at the end of the but at the end of the day, like shout out Kevin counting Harden out on this team, a because I don't see it happening at least in the near term, and b because I don't really think it makes sense. Like you, you take a look at the players on this team that they could package together. Like you package together like a Norman Powell. Obviously, Terrence Mann's been a sticking point, so maybe we'll keep him out of it. But like if you package together like Norman Powell and Robert Covington and maybe KJ Martin after. Um, the extension period goes off and you can't actually trade him. I don't see a collection of assets that would make enough sense to sway Daryl Morey to trade him away. I just think we're in for a staring contest as far as Harden's concerned. And that's why I'm keeping his name out of my contention for this win total, because it just doesn't make sense for him on the team. And I, I can only deal with the over under win total right now with the names I have in front of me and the names that I have in front of me do not inspire me. And that's why I want to go under with this team. I, I agree. I agree. And for the most part, I, I don't think they're going to be under. I think it's going to be a push. That's what I said on my pod. And I think it's for the exact reason you said about the arena. Steve Ballmer's opening up a new arena. It sounds awesome. I do want to check it out. It, it sounds incredible. Um, but he's going to be extremely motivated to, at the very least, continue to win the way they are winning. Now, you're right. They haven't really made any you know, favorable changes. There's not really much anything different. Westbrook, I think, is really good friends with Kawhi and PG, so I'm sure the vibes will be good. But there's really no difference between this team and the team we've seen the last three years with them. They have 45 to 50 win potential. I think they could get to a conference semis. I think they could put up a tough fight. I don't think this is a finals team. I don't think they have enough depth at center. I don't think they have enough rim protection. And I don't think they have enough point guard play, even though who knows how much they really need considering Paul George's abilities. But still, I just think this is the same team we've always seen. They're going to be good. They're not going to be phenomenal. They're going to not play every night. And we'll see where it goes from there. And you're right. You have to assume James Harden's not on the team going through all of this. It's just, it's crazy because it almost feels like he is on the team in a certain way. But you're right. He's not yet. And so we'll see when we get there. Not excited for this team, though. Not excited. Sorry. Sorry. Four out of the five teams in in this division made the playoffs this past season. I want to pencil in at least three for now. But if there's an option for a fourth, I'd more than likely take the team that we're going to talk about last year in the Pacific Division and the Kings and a team in the Clippers just because, like, like you said, availability is the name of the game, especially in terms of developing consistency with your players, developing consistency across the board in your offense, with your defense. Like there's just not enough body of work for me to put my life on the line like Brett did with the Heat to really just go ahead and say, yes, I think the Clippers are going to make the playoffs. I think they can make enough noise. It's, it's again, it's another case of show me what you can do. And at the end of the day, like I, they haven't done enough for me over the past handful of seasons to really help me push that needle one way or the other. 
Spicy question real quick before we move on. Let's say their record coming up towards the deadline is good, but not great. And they think they have something, but they don't think they have it all. Does Steve Ballmer or whoever is in charge there, uh, uh, do they have the cojones to split up the duo of Paul, George, and Kawhi? I think trade one the of them. Potential is, I think the potential is honestly there. It's going to depend a lot on the crop of people who are available. Like if you take a look at the certain crop of guys that are allegedly available right now, Trey Young requested a trade and said, I would love to go play for the Clippers. Atlanta, for some weird reason, says we'll Atlanta take one of Paul George or Kawhi. I don't think Ballmer would go for Trey Young. But again, like Trey Young is maybe a test right. case of someone that might be available. But like if the option is Siakam, I don't think he says yes. If the option is Julius Randle, I don't think Ballmer wants him. If the option is Zach Levine, no, he doesn't want Cat either. Cat, Cat. Cat would not be a good Clipper. Cat kind of portrays a little bit like a Clipper. Like if you look at the amount of. Yeah, big Clipper vibes. Like big, He's got big Clipper vibes. vibes. He does. Just a guy who puts up 20 and 10, but doesn't particularly do anything. <laughs> he would, oh man, is Carl Anthony Towns a Clippers Hall of Famer? I'm kind of talking myself into it. Big clip energy. Yeah. Like Corey Maggette, massive Clipper energy. But just just a guy, 16 and 10, he's going to get the numbers. But what does he do? What is, we're going to- The worst free agent signing for the Warriors of all this time. this away for a future pod. We're going to make our all Clippers energy team, and we're going to go ahead and do that as a draft. We're going to do that. Let's make it happen. <laughs> yes, yeah. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's another draft for you to lose. You're a dick. I hate you so much. Welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey loses number for me. I don't, I don't want do, to do this anymore. Good to be here. All right, let's good move to on to the last here. team of this division here. The Sacramento Kings, a team that uh, our good friend Court DeFoya has been very vocal that this team is going to underperform. Uh, their over-under is 44 and a half. It's the lowest over-under in this division. They are return the vast majority of their squad that played probably the most competitive series in the playoffs last year. They filled in the edges with savvy veterans like JaVale McGee. And they also brought in announced the Euro guys, announced the Euro guys name. Do it. He is in, he's back. I I got my name down. I'm doing fantastic. They also bring in a guy like Chris Duarte. They bring in Chris Duarte. I was pretty high on him, but obviously with the accumulation of guards that the Pacers developed, it was nice that they had a chance to free him. But I'm, I'm interested in your take on this. The Kings were a very, very fast team, a very good offensive team. De'Aaron Fox won Clutch Player of the Year, which is an award that means something. I'm not quite sure what, but he won it. They played a really great regular season. They got some playoff experience. They took the Warriors to the edge, but they were still absolutely terrible defensively and i don't think that they've made any noticeable changes to improve that side of the ball is is the king's playoff appearance a one-trick pony or do you think there's a chance that they can actually make some noise coming in and actually maybe have that top three seed like they did last year it's not a one-trick pony they are good but it's kind of the it's kind of the more respectable cousin of what the clippers are going through right now where i think they have a certain ceiling i don't think they're that far from that ceiling but it doesn't mean they're bad you're right. This team's incredibly fast. They put up a hell of a fight against the Warriors. And I think it's very fair to say if Fox doesn't get injured with that finger injury that, you know, they could have won that series. And I think that's fair to say Keegan Murray is going to take the next step. Very high on Keegan Murray coming into this year. Um, De'Aaron Fox is going to do his thing. Domas is going to do his thing. You're right. They have decent veterans to fill roles, you know, outside of that Oregon Duck legend, Chris Duarte, you know, uh, Kevin Herter. But I don't think that they are that far away from what their best potential is. And we saw last year when 
all things went right and everyone stayed healthy. They're right around 48 wins and they had a first round exit. Maybe they're slightly better this year. Maybe they're 5% better, 10% better. Where does that take you? A tough out in the second round. And I think Sacramento would be happy with, with that. I think they would almost be not proud in a disrespectful way, but like that would be a good season for Sacramento this year if they put up a hell of a fight in the second round of the playoffs. I don't think it goes much farther than that, though. Uh, big year for Keegan Murray coming, though. So I did want to ask that you that since you did bring it up. Like you said, the best potential version of the Kings is to get 5% better or 10% better. What what does that version look like? Does it just in like accounting stats sort of scenario, or do you need some of those guys that you acquire to step up? Do you need to see... Malik Monk contending for a six-man player of the year. Do you need to see Kevin Herter increase his shooting? Do you need to see Harrison Barnes maybe decide to lock in on defense as opposed to some of his offensive bag that he was working on in the playoffs when he was just trying to cook you guys at every single opportunity? Like, what what does that 5 to 10% better look like? Like, obviously, like Keegan Murray, you said, is going to take a leap, but it's, it's, a, it's an accumulation of really great offensive talent. But like at the end of the day, like, when the playoffs come, your team could score 120 points a game over the course of a season or over the course of a series, like other teams have an opportunity to figure you out. And that's exactly what the Warriors did. They absolutely locked in. There were games where nothing was going right. Nothing was falling. And they didn't really have a good option to, to, to kind of deviate away from that course that the Warriors were putting them on. It looks like this. It looks like Domas extending his range a little bit more consistently and reliably to the three. But more importantly than that, it means becoming more consistent with his free throws. That's step number one. Step number two, when we talk about the Keegan Murray step, it's become a more confident and reliable third option when the Domas and Fox pick and roll doesn't work out on the first try. Right. Last year, he last year, he was more of a supportive role, maybe find the open shot you know, maybe kind of be a bailout option, a little bit flash of his own. I think this year it could be a little bit more of, hey, give me the ball if we're stuck. I can figure something out. So I think it's that combined with more consistent free throw shooting and three-point shooting from Domas. You get those two things, and I think you see a 10% increase in not only their counting stats of production, but their overall win total and, you know, level of toughness to get out in the playoffs. you've smashed the over on three of these teams. I wouldn't say, no, no, I wouldn't say smash. What's it said? I believe 45 and a half. I think somewhere, I think it's right around 45 and a half. I did this yesterday. I should remember this. I think they're slightly over that. Give me, give me again, another 48, maybe on a, if everything works out well and they make that 10% increase, give me a 50, 51 win season. But I think it's with, I think that's, don't give me that look. Don't give me that look. I think that's best case scenario. As I do more scenario. and more of these preview podcasts, and obviously there's going to be some losses that are going to be piling up the next division that we talk about. We looked at the entire Western Conference as a whole, and obviously we need to find eight playoff teams. And very similar to last season, I think that there's going to be an absolute log jam in the seeding standings between the third seed and the teams that eventually missed the playoffs. OKC had the worst record out of all of them. It was an eight-game separation between the the how many teams is that the eight teams that were kind of on the verge of missing the playoffs essentially like the Grizzlies and the Nuggets were the only ones that were even like moderately safe but again Memphis only won 51 games like this conference is going to be such an absolute mess there are going to be teams that miss the playoffs and I worry about the Kings in a play-in situation if they get to that scenario if nothing goes right and they're going to be in like an eight seed scenario then they're gonna have to play like a tough upstart team on the at home to get into the playoffs. I'm just worried about them 
being a little bit too early for that moment. But again, like I don't want to say that last year's season was a flash in the pan or anything by that regard. I think in the regular season, they had a lot of balls bounce their way. And I, I don't know if this is going to be a regression season or more of the same coming in. Do you think, even if it includes the play-in, do you think all five teams from this no, uh, division make I, the playoffs? I don't think so. And I think it's the Clippers it out, Sacramento out? Off, and Sacramento is following them. Um, I don't want to say that they're like 1A, 1B in terms of missing the playoffs, but I think it's a little bit closer than I want to admit. Obviously, like there, there are teams like the Thunder, which everyone is very high on. If you ask anyone about the OKC Thunder, they're basically a shoe in for the playoffs. Someone's going to take that spot. Dallas is going to come back hungry. Houston rebuilt. I don't think they're quite ready, but they're in the playing conversation for sure. I think it's going to be a difference between a young team wanting to make the play in and more savvy or older veteran teams being okay with missing it. I put the Clippers, like I said, a little bit higher, but I think Sacramento's pretty close, especially if some of these other teams take leaps over them. All right, well, let's move on from the Pacific Division. Let's talk about a team that anytime that someone talks about them, it's never long enough. So let's do 90 seconds on the Denver Nuggets just to satiate those maniacs who say nobody talks about their team. Look, you guys won the championship. Awesome job. I let Chase Campbell come on the podcast and cook for as long as he could. I gave him his platform. You guys won. We got drunk Christian Brown on the parade throat. I think that's fucking fantastic. We're back for another year. Look, I think Jokic is one of the three players who could win MVP this year. I think he's going to put up similar counting stats. I think the West is theirs. The only thing that could stop this team is injury. They were aggressively healthy last year. I don't want to say we're due for another Michael Porter Jr. 30 games off, but I'd say that it's potentially coming. They, they need some of those rookie guys to step up, killed the draft. Their talent evaluation is absolutely fantastic. I love Jalen Pickett. I think Julian Strother is going to absolutely get some playing time as a knockdown shooter off the bench. But when it comes down to it, it's going to come as far as the Jokic and Murray combination can take them. I think it's going to take them to a one seed in this conference. I think it's going to take them probably to another conference finals, if not another NBA finals. And I wouldn't be surprised if this would be one of the first teams in years to go back to back as an NBA champion. Adler, your thoughts. You said my thoughts. One seed. There's no difference with this team and last year's team. The Murray Jokic two man game is, 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 second to none they know each other just like the same way like a uh, Stephen Draymond would it's 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 Montana it's Rice it's it's Brady it's Moss it's they know what they're doing with each other uh pause and I just think that it is a lock for 58 60 wins I think it's a one seed I predicted earlier in the pod they're going to beat the Warriors in the conference finals and go to the finals. I could see them winning it all again. Denver, awesome. So they're Lock over under Don't for have this year's fifty-three and a half. They won fifty-three games last year. You think it's an over? Okay, over. So over, <laughs> over. This team's confident. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They're they're going to take that that neck. Like when a team wins a championship, they go one of two ways. They either take a step back or they take a step forward. So they're going like to take a said, step. Forward. What what does that step forward look like? So they lost three games their entire run to the finals. They ended up absolutely dominating the Miami Heat in that finals game. Like you, what what does better look like for them? Like, do they need to really solidify themselves as a solid regular season team in order to really take that next step and then continue to dominate through the finals? Or what is that? What does that next step look like for you if they go forward? 
That that's really it. That's really it. They they they've already shown you how dangerous they can be in the playoffs. Now maybe they struggle a little bit more in this year's playoffs, if only for a stiffer competition to get there. But I don't think it'll be because they're playing worse. It's exactly what you said. It's regular season consistency. It is the mentality of being like, yeah. We're the best. We showed it last year, and we're going to defend that now. So we're going to put a little bit more emphasis on just the day to day domination of these teams, just to show, just to show you know, show you who's daddy a little bit. And I think really that's it. They already, they already reached their ceiling in the playoffs, and it's awesome. Like you said, three losses the entire time. They are great. I've got no questions about that. It's just how how dominant do they want to be on a consistent basis in the regular season? I think it's going to be yeah, a absolutely lot. Denver. You're you're still really good. No one's forgotten about you. You're you, you just have a superstar that's not excited about playing basketball, and I don't hold that against him personally. I I don't think that's a negative trait. There there are just people out in the press right now, not me, that are looking for more clicks and more exciting things to talk about than a giant Serbian man and his horses. And I understand that, but at the end of the day, like we need to we need to kind of mitigate the Denver Nuggets slander. We need to talk more about them. And I think once the regular season starts, people are going to remember why this team absolutely steamrolled everybody in the Western Conference. And there will be more talking about them. We'll, I, I promise we'll, we'll carve out a little bit of time. I'll talk about the Denver Nuggets. Don't, I won't forget you guys. I promise. All right, Adler, we're going to, I'm going to throw you a curveball here because my team's up next. We're going to Uno reverse this. You're the host now. We did, we've done this before on the B Team podcast. I'm going to take the back seat. Quiz me, roast me, Minnesota Timberwolves time, baby. Throw me under the bus. As the host, that means I'm in charge. Mikey, can you please mute Ethan for a little while? Uh, I just don't want to hear him anymore, and I'm in charge. Do you just want me to kick him just, off? Just log, just log him out a little. Yeah, we're fine. I got it from here. I'm, I'm like the genie in Aladdin. Like you own me now. <laughs> Look, Minnesota. I don't have a lot of nice things to say. Um, I love Anthony Edwards. And I love Jaden McDaniels. And congrats on the money that you spent today, by the way. I do think that was a good deal. I do want to hear your thoughts about that in just a second. Outside of those two guys, I don't have any sort of excitement with this team. I do not think Rudy Gobert is a good basketball player. I think his heyday is over. And I think you owe him $1,000 billion every single year for the next five years. I don't think you can trade him really either. I think Cat, while offensively, does what he does no complaints there i think he's too slow to defend a four and i think he's too small to defend a five i don't think there's been anything different from the last god has he been in the league for nine years now has it been nine years nine years of clipper energy on the in the in the pacific northwest here i don't know pacific north central whatever you call yourself here um i i see first round potential at best in if, and that includes anthony edwards taking a leap into maybe top 15 MVP voting kind of that range kind of kind of a fringe top 10 guy I think with that included I think this is a tough out in the first round at best first off let me get your thoughts on the the contract extension so to start off with the Jaden McDaniels contract I honestly thought it was going to be more so when I saw the the five years like one what was it five years 130 140 150 like somewhere in that range of 30 million dollars a year yeah 136 that sounds like a good number it was yeah, 136 five years, 136 that's a pretty friendly deal considering the the ability that he brings on the defensive end of the court. And that's a, that's a potential bet for him to become an all NBA defense kind of player. I think he got absolutely robbed 
from that all defensive spot last year. I think if he had earned that position, he probably would have made a lot more money than he did today. But I think that's going to motivate him. At the end of the day, he's an absolute seatbelt on the defensive end. He will lock down your best player on a nightly basis. And if we can keep him from punching concrete, I think he's going to play an awesome season and show out night in and night out and really earn that contract. Speaking of team-friendly contracts, like we did a lot of work this season that I feel like if you change the Minnesota name on the front of the jersey and subbed it out with any other team in the league, I feel like people would be talking about it a lot more in terms of the moves that they made. Like the Nas Reed contract, I know I talked about it at nauseum. We brought him back on such a team-friendly deal. Yeah, ad nauseum. No pun intended. Put that on a shirt. We're gonna we we brought we brought him back. <laughs> we got him back on such a team. We got merch, baby. And I feel like the, the first thing that people thought about when they saw that contract was, wait, that was it. And then their next immediate thought was, fuck, why didn't my team try to sign Nasri to that contract? He wants to be there. Mikey saw me dap him up at summer league. I chatted with him for about thirty five seconds. It was the best thirty five seconds of my life. But no, at the end of the day, we we look at. All the signings that we made, the Nas Reed contract, the Jaden McDaniels extension, the Anthony Edwards extension that everybody knew was coming. We filled out the fringes of our roster with guys with decent defensive chops on low-level contracts. Nikhil Alexander-Walker was a guy that nobody talked about in the FIBA World Cup, but shout out Dane Moore, Timberwolves beat reporter. The man was chucking up threes and hitting them at a really high clip and playing lockdown defense for Canada and FIBA. He, we brought in Shake Milton, really team-friendly deal. I like Shake Milton a lot. I think he's going to be like a really good change of pace guard for us. A little bit better than my guy Jordan McLaughlin off the bench in terms of setting the table for guys. <clears throat> Bringing a guy like Troy Brown Jr., Oregon guy. You like Troy Brown Jr. He hasn't really had a good shot in the NBA to really do anything. But again, it's a low-risk, low-reward kind of signing that matches the Timberwolves' time frame. And it's another rangy wing defender that we can throw out at dudes. I think this team's going to be a lot better defensively than what they were last year. Obviously, you talked a little bit about Gobert and Cat playing together. They played together about 500 minutes last year. That's not enough time for anybody to figure out how to do anything, much less two giant centers to figure out their spacing. And at the end of the day, like Cat threw more lobs to Gobert than anybody else on that team for the early part of that season. I think there's the potential for the two of them to actually figure some stuff out. I think Chris Finch is a really solid coach and has the ability to figure that out. And the cancer of D'Angelo Russell is off of our team. Full season of Mike Conley at the helm. He and Ant are already BFFs. I think this is going to be an awesome regular season team. But I think, like you said, it's going to be a really competitive first round exit for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think it's ultimately going to be a little bit more disappointing than people think. And that's when the questions are going to start about whether or not we decide to move off Cat for assets. Start? (laughs) What are you talking about? They've been there. You still haven't answered how Cat is even going to so that, remotely defend. So that's on this the thing. Team. Like he doesn't need to be an absolute amazing defender because we have guys on this team that will do it. We saw it last year. We have the ability to spell Cat and Rudy apart from each other in different lineups that can emphasize the ability to bring them up. Like they're both not going to close the game in opportunities where it's not going to make sense. That's why we have guys like Kyle Anderson. That's why we have guys like Nas Reed. That's why we drafted a guy like Leonard Miller out of the G League Ignite, who's a 6'10 absolute buzzsaw throughout the preseason, grabbing 22 points and 15 rebounds in a preseason finale. Like at the end of the day, like this is going to be a team that's going to be really, really good if they have the opportunity to play together as an entire squad. I think if the Jaden injury hadn't happened, the Nas injury hadn't happened at the end of the season, I think we could easily have taken Denver to six games and people would be talking about us a lot more. But again, it's the potential of the Timberwolves as opposed to the actual product. And this is the year that that's going to come to fruition. We're going to be able to see it more outright. 
Well, I will say I am excited to see Anthony Edwards play this year. I do believe he's got fringe top 10, solid lock it in, top 15 MVP potential. He's, yeah, he's absolutely. a dude. So he's a dude. Let's, let's do this, Adler. They're over under win total for this season is 44 and a half. You can't push. There's a half push. game. They can't, there's no ties. Push. 45 wins. Okay. 45. What seed does 45. that get you in that Western Conference this year? Are we looking at another play-in championship? Back to back to back. That gets you anywhere. That gets you any from. That gets you anywhere from the three seed to the ten seed, I believe. Like, like okay, I say that in a joking manner, but in reality, if you look at the projections for the win totals in the Western Conference as a whole, it looks like almost every team, but maybe three, could make the playoffs. It's an incredibly incredibly competitive conference this season and uh so i i I say that jokingly but honestly i I, it could get you anywhere from from three to ten uh in reality 45 wins you're probably looking at a six seed seventh maybe fifth depending on how it goes but kind of in that ultimate look of what this team could be is that if we can secure our first round home series advantage i think that's going to do wonders for us put us in the king's role from last year we have a really great regular season have a lot of balls bounce our way we stay really healthy we win somewhere in those upper 40s lower 50s type games but at the end of the day again i think our lack of playoff experience is going to catch up to us especially if we run into a team like either the warriors or the suns or somebody with those more veteran players that doesn't care as much about the regular season i think there's a chance we could come in with a lot of confidence and still get dog walked. But Hey, that's a problem for future. Ethan, we can talk about that in about six months down the road. We'll, we'll figure that out and cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> let's move on to a team that nobody has anything negative to say about them. So let's try and find some things to say. Let's talk about the Jersey that I'm wearing tonight. My guy, Chet Holbrook and the Oklahoma city thunder. Their over under is 44 and a half. And at the end of the day, we've heard everybody talk about, the potential that this team is going to have coming into another season. They finally have a center. Uh, one of the more hilarious graphics I saw in the offseason was Rudy Gobert's play-in statistics, which was one game that he played against Oklahoma City Thunder and their team of no centers. And I want to say like 22 and 15. If you look at that one game as his total career play-in statistics, that's an absolutely dominant player. If you looked at it in the context of last year's Oklahoma City Thunder, it looks a little bit less impressive. But this roster has made a couple of interesting moves. Obviously, my guy Chet, he's in the fold. He's looked awesome in preseason. I think he's going to do a really good job of solidifying that interior defense. But again, this is a really, really young team, and everyone's anticipating that everyone on this team is going to take a singular step towards a sturdy playoff berth and not have to worry about the play in again this year. Adler, I'm worried about your thoughts in a crowded Western Conference. What are your thoughts on OKC? Not sure if you saw it or not, but today the uh, Slam Magazine cover dropped, and it is all five OKC starting lineup members in the front of it with the highlight, uh, or the not the highlight, but the label, Return of the Real. Um, I don't know who's returning. They were never good to begin with, but they are for real. I think this is, I, I'm going to be a sheep here. I'm going to be like the rest of the pundits. This is a 50-plus a win team. This is a, a shy for, or shay, shy, shay. As, this is an SGA for MVP conversation Team, this is a uh, giddy putting up 19, 8, and 18. This is Holmgren coming in and being potentially not even just rookie of the year, but in the defensive player of the year talk at the very least. Maybe not the winner, but talk. This is a really good team. They're really deep. We could see them being in finals contention for the next six years and simultaneously getting top 10 picks 
years after year if you're at the same exact time. Um, I am just like the rest of everyone. I am incredibly high, not just tonight on the pod, but on this team in general. I really like the jersey that you're wearing. I think it's appropriate. I am a massive Chet fan. I saw them last year live. Uh, I got to sit right in the middle uh, at Chase Center. Great, great game. SGA controlled the offense in a way that it is rare to see. He has complete control over what they do in the best of most efficient possible ways. And he he didn't have Chet play then. And now he's got Chet. And if we know anything, Chet is 95% of what Wimby is. And Wimby is one of the greatest prospects of all time. Give me every single bet on OKC that says they're going to be better than 44 wins. Give it all. I think this is a conference finals potential team. Starting now. Now, the one thing is what happens with the roster. You can't pay everyone. You can try, but you can't. And they got a lot of intriguing pieces coming down the pipeline. How long does this core last together? Who goes first? Outside of that... So I guess that's the question we have to ask, right? I just looked at that slam cover. And by the way, that slam cover goes hard. Go take a, take a look at it. Might order that picture for my wall, if I'm brutally honest. At the end of the day, if that five is your core five... You have to, like you said, make a lot of these decisions about these guys coming forward. At the end of the day, I'm not sure if Lou Dort is on this team long term. Like they just put him on a magazine cover, but out of the five, I don't know if he's going to be the guy that's going to be sticking around for the squad. Pokashevsky, he's going to be a restricted free agent next summer. Trey Mann going to be a restricted free agent in two summers. You you look at the guys up and down their bench, and it is a very, very young team. And they do have the benefit of it being a very cheap roster and them having a lot of opportunities. But like you said, you have so many picks accumulated. You have so much young talent on the squad. It's hard not to ask that question of not if, but when they're going to start to make, they're going to try to make a big swing for a big name that comes available. I don't think it's going to be this season. I don't think it's going to be this season. I think it's going to probably be next year because they want to take a look at this core as a whole and see what they have. At the end of the day, I agree with you. You look at them and down the road, potentially conference finals, deep playoff runs, maybe a championship. I don't, I'm not ready to say it this year. I'm not ready to say those words. You guys are going to be a perennial playoff team because just like we talked about with the Clippers roster, I don't view this as a finished product. I don't know how to judge this based on the collection of talent I have in front of me right now, at the end of the day, you might have to move off a guy like Usman Jang or a guy like Pokashevsky or a guy like Trey Mann. Those guys might not be on the team. You're going to have to package those guys together for somebody to not only eat up some cap space, maybe provide a little bit more leadership, or even if it's not a leadership aspect, if you think Shea is that guy, it's going to be somebody who has to fill that big role of a guy who can carry you and a really young roster in those playoffs. Go for it. Can I ask you a really spicy question here? In two years from now, does OKC become a Tatum candidate? Let's say, let's say for the next two years, Boston does not win the finals. Just hypothetically. Disappointment year after year. They've been disappointing their fans since 2000. I can't even say with straight face. Since 2016 at this point. Constantly losing conference finals. Constantly losing finals. Tatum, two years from now, it's not working with Chris Stapps. He's clearly said something problematic in the locker room. Just look at his face. You know he's going to. And Tatum says, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of losing. OKC's got the pieces. Are they a Tatum candidate? And you get the big three. Tatum, SGA, Holmgren. Give up anything else. Giddy, Jalen Williams, picks. 
You're saying if you're the Celtics, you're not at least thinking about I that? I think if I'm the Celtics, I'm not thinking about it yet. But the two years from now conversation is interesting. I think if the team, I think the team that makes the most sense, if we're looking for somebody within the context of the next year, if Chet shows out and he's going to be gangbusters, but they need just a little bit more scoring, I wouldn't be surprised if they offered him in a package with a lot of picks and a lot of young talent to a guy like Daryl Morey in a name like Joel Embiid. So that's where my question originated from because my thought was, but here was my thought though, is not Holmgren for Embiid. It's how do you get Holmgren with Embiid because Holmgren has proven he can stretch the floor and defend fours, potentially maybe even threes depending on how he develops. So that's where my first thought was. And I was like, we need to get spicier for the pod. We're late into it. It's loosey goosey. It's a Monday night. But my original thought was, how do you get Embiid with Chet? And I think Philly, if they're willing to blow it up, I do think you look at a package either surrounding Jalen Williams and a massive amount of picks or Jalen Williams and Giddy plus, you know, something else in there. So I'm, I'm happy For your sure. thought yeah, kind I, of I was in that same uh, avenue there. They've accumulated so many picks and taken on so many bad salaries and accumulated all of those assets for so long. There's no pressure for them to actually go ahead and just liquidate everything. They, they basically have control of the board for the next half decade. When you look at all of their assets they have together, but when it comes down to it, it is going to take a big name for them to come available. They're not blowing it up for Zach Levine. They're not blowing it up for anybody in like that sort of sphere. Exactly. Like they're not, they're not going to do it. Sorry, Riley. But like I said, I'm not ready to name this team as a perennial candidate yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit their over. I also wouldn't be surprised if this team needs something to push it over the finish line. Like when they when they made their playoff appearance with Chris Paul and Al Horford, it, it took a couple of adults in a room just to maybe calm some guys down and facilitate the, all the youth that's available. That Even if it's a guy that I, I don't even know, bring Al Horford back into the fold, somebody in like that similar time frame. Get, get some old guys in there. Like Davis Bertans is their most tenured veteran on this team. Davis Bertans isn't leading anybody, but at the end of the day, you, you got you to gotta get somebody in. I, I'm not saying this in a joking manner, but in reality, let's say the Bomber uh, Arena thing wasn't happening and there wasn't that context and you took away the previous history of everything, just in terms of pure basketball sense, it really does make sense for the Clippers to look at the Thunder and go, hey, you guys just need a little push over the edge. With a wing, we've got two of them. What do you want to do about it? Because to your point, I don't think that OKC would even unload the full clip, even if they brought in a stud. I think they have that much asset. I think they could spend a ton of picks on Embiid and still have one of the best reserves to trade Absolutely. for another star candidate. Like you've down been the road. staring intently for the entirety of this trade thing. I know. I know you've really thought about the Thunder a lot as a team coming into this season. What do you, What do you think about everything that we've said here right now? Oh, I thought there was like a ton of hyperbole coming from Adler the whole time that he was talking. I thought Ethan was like, I know Ethan's really tired. He's been doing a lot of pods. I thought Ethan's face was about <laughs> to melt off. That was a lot of fun to watch. I know this is a audio podcast, but yeah, I don't know. I, it might be time to pump the brakes a little bit on some of those expectations. Um, the trade one, the trade expectations or their record this year? I was going back to the record, like 50 plus wins top two seed that seems like a bit much but i do think that this is going to be a really tough team i'm high on them i picked sga as my like dark horse mvp pick i don't know the trade thing i don't think they're going to dip their toes in the trade waters this season by any means like ethan said that they're going to stop and see what they have with this core and i think i'm just excited really to see what this team is on the court this season i'm not even really 
we know that they've got the avenue to to make some moves. I'm not really there with that team yet, though, because I want to see what they are on the court right now. Barring injury, is there an avenue for this team to disappoint? Yeah. Um, if they don't make, I mean, I think this team expects and should make the playoffs. And I'm thinking like above the play in. I think if they're a you know, playing team or worse, if they kind of just matched their output at the end of the season last year, I think that's a disappointment. And that's kind of high expectations. That's what I'm thinking. That's high expectations for a team that's been in the situation they have in the past few years. And we don't really know what they are for a full season. I'm not trying to put them up in the, you know, the upper echelon of contenders in this conference right now. I think realistic expectations is, you know, make the playoffs, maybe make the second round but let's not get too crazy with it. I am excited for them though. I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I'm on the bandwagon. You did say two words that resonated a lot with me. And those words were realistic expectations. And I think right now the expectations for this team are a little bit loftier than realistic. Like you said, I think it's solidifying a playoff spot first and foremost, and then seeing what your team looks like in those playoffs. I don't think they're going to make a whole lot of noise. I know there's a lot of contention basically saying that this team's going to come in and dominate and get into the playoffs and make a whole lot of noise. Again, it's going to be a first round exit, I think, for this team, if anything. I think they're going to run into a more experienced team. They're going to have punched in the mouth. But again, I would love to hear a come from behind story. Everybody loves an underdog, and I'm ready to kind of crown the Oklahoma City Thunder as that underdog team. But again, they're they're the underdog for a reason. They're going up against a lot of really, really good talent that's been established for a really, really long time in this league. And somebody's got to get knocked off that podium in order for them to ascend. I just don't think they're quite right. All right, let's move on to the the last team that we're going to talk about. I know Mikey's got a Blazers segment that he's going to plug at the end of this episode. But we're going to wrap up tonight talk about the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz's over win total is 35 and a half. This was a team that excited down the stretch and then quickly decided, hey, we're not quite ready yet. We're not quite ready to be in a position to win. Don't need the playoff experience yet. Let's go ahead, rebuild end the season on a little bit more of a negative note, but they were able to bring in some dudes that I really, really like. I think they killed their draft with their three first round picks. Taylor Hendricks is going to be a project, but he bills as a really rangy wing defender. Keontae George, a guy at a Baylor who was a little bit under scouted. I want to say with the, the makeup of their team last year with Flagler and Cryer running a lot of their guard play together as the third guard, as the freshman, he didn't get a full chance to see what his skill set looked like at Baylor, but in the preseason, he's looked absolutely phenomenal. And then a guy like Bryce Sensabaugh, a guy with a little bit of an injury history, but when he was on the floor and healthy for Ohio state last season, he looked absolutely fantastic on the plus side. You get another year of Larry Markkinen coming into his role as a star started as an, or came in as an all-star last year. Another year of my guy Ochai Akbaji coming into the fold. Another year of Colin Sexton, but we'll see if he sticks around for the long term. Not if Steve has anything to say about it. Uh, but this is a team that has a lot to be excited about. Another year of Walker Kessler. I hate to say it, but he's going to come back. He's going to look freaking fantastic in another year in this system. Will Hardy is projecting to put himself into the upper echelon of young coaches in the NBA. Danny Ainge is always one phone call away from blowing something up and making another massive move. Ather, what are your thoughts on the Jazz? Is this the year that they make a run for the playoffs, or are we still in a holding pattern a little bit in Salt Lake City? I can't get a read on them, and I think that's my problem with them going into this year is I think they're stuck in this purgatory of they have some intriguing young prospects. They have some decent, not great, but good 
vets, no one's that's going to really take you over the edge. Um, and I think that the direction of this team is undecided and a lot is going to change in the first half of the season. I think come trade deadline, we're going to really start seeing what Danny Age has envisioned for their future moving forward because they are kind of stuck in this. They've got some good players. They've got some good prospects. No one's great. No one's a superstar. Lori Markkinen, good player, fringe all-star, not a superstar. They have the assets to go all in for a star at the trade deadline if they feel like they just need one or two more pieces. They also have the veterans to go get a bunch of draft picks and blow it up a little bit if they feel like that's the direction they want to go in. But the problem is I can't get a read on that. I do think, though, that you touched on Will Hardy. I think he is a fantastic young up-and-coming coach. I think he's a great selection for him. And you've got Danny Ainge. And whenever you've got Danny Ainge and a really good, smart, young coach, I trust whatever direction the organization wants to go in. I just can't figure out what it is. So I've got them right around that 35-win mark. I don't know, though. I don't have any confidence in my prediction for this team. I really don't in know. In my eyes, I, I look at their roster, and first off, shout out John Collins. He's finally free. He made it out of Atlanta. He's on the Utah Jazz. I don't think he's long for the Utah Jazz. If you look at where he is at in terms of where his contract is, he has a player option in 2025. He's unrestricted in 26. With the cap going up, his contract is pretty friendly, and I think he's a really good starting point if any of those stars become available. And I'm looking specifically at like that power forward spot. If a Siakam or a Julius Randall or anybody in that sphere kind of comes available, I could see Collins going on the move for one of those guys. If, and only if Danny Ainge decides that this is the time that they want to pull the trigger and move some pieces around. Um, but if you look at your, their young core, it starts with Walker Kessler, who again, I, I got him right. I will die on Walker Kessler Hill, even though I won't get the chance to ever see him in a Timberwolves Jersey. He is a absolute phenomenal rim protector, both in his timing and his ability to control a defense. If you start with him and if you have Lowry Markin and take another step, if you can start to coach around kind of some of the defensive shortcomings, especially in their guard play, or you could trade for another asset, this team is going to be an absolute nightmare on the defensive end. I think the offense just needs to catch up with it. And I look at that point guard position, Chris Dunn is starting Minnesota Timberwolves draft pick hall of famer chris dunn starting at the point guard position you look at a lot of teams some teams i talked to tyler about it on when we did our southeast divisional preview with a bevy of point guards who are available cole anthony just re-signed to a pretty decent deal today that's a tradable contract there's there's going to be a move that utah can make it's just a matter kind of like in okc's case if this is the year they want to make it or if they want to continue to kind of hoard their picks hoard their assets for as long as they can and you didn't even mention jordan clarkson one of their kind of longest tenured players. And if they do decide to go in either direction, I think he'll be an important piece because he is, he's a really steady contributor and he could also help another team if they do go the other way. And I think really I'd be keeping my eyes on Keontae George if they do kind of start to tear it down and like give him the keys to the car towards the later half of the season. Yeah. There's going to be some teams at the trade deadline who are definitely going to call about Jordan Clarkson. And that's, that's something that Utah is going to have to assess kind of with their timing. Like there's going to be a bevy of those guys around the league from teams that, aren't quite ready to start winning yet and really take advantage of the window that they're in. Clarkson is absolutely one of those dudes, a guy who can come in off the bench, who has that playoff experience. You're, you're the, the phone will be ringing for him. The phone will be ringing for a handful of these guys. If they decide that it's open season for the trade deadline. But again, 
what if what if it's a situation like last year where Utah started off really really strong then we start to ask questions about whether or not they actually want to have this team together and sort of run with it but again this is this is a team of mismatched parts that doesn't particularly make a whole lot of sense well I think that's uh I mean Mikey you got a blazer segment that you're gonna put at the end right is that it Oh yeah, is that my uh, time? Okay, it's so, sorry. It's so late. Uh, yeah, it's it so late, late on the West Coast. Oh, it's only eight thirty. Oh, it's so late. Oh, it's so late for you guys. Oh, it's so late. <laughs> it's only eight thirty. It's so it's so late. Uh, all right. Well, we all know how tired our guy Ethan is. We want to give shout a big out. shout out and say thank you for carrying the overstated pod on all these these previews i'm glad that he listened to me and he consolidated on one last one here and we also got to get me and adler back in the room with him so this has been a lot of fun uh before i plug the segment that i'm going to attach to this i do want to say everybody please listen to our buddy adler's new podcast the os connect it's a lot of fun i can't wait to hear more i'm going to be on there at some point we're going to get all the regulars on there i hear sometime ethan after he goes into hibernation, he might be on the pod. He better be. He owes me at sure this point. But yeah, so this last of a segment that we're going to put in before I kick it back to Ethan. Me and Brett recorded with our friend Riley at the Bounce Pass oh, podcast sweet. a little over a week ago now. A week in podcast terms is so long. I don't even remember what the hell we talked about, but I know it was a Blazers podcast. And I said, Ethan, let me handle them. We're going to put it on the end here. You don't have to talk about them. Lord knows we talk about the Blazers way too much on this podcast. I have a feeling it's going to be the last time we talk about them for a long time. So let me milk this one. For sure. And Mikey Mikey mentioned it. I am going to go into hibernation for a short point just to recharge the podcasting batteries. But with that said, I will be back next week. I'm going to start a new segment and I'm going to kick it off this next time. I'm doing a League Pass Team of the Week. Um, this will be posted on both in the Facebook group and in Twitter. You guys will have a chance to vote on which team I watch. We do a little bit of a breakdown analysis coming in. My guy, Tyler Woolley, made a comment, saw a post that anybody who has been talking about the Raptors obviously haven't seen that much Raptors basketball. My guy, Grady Dix, on the team. I picked him for Rookie of the Year rather haphazardly, and they're playing the Timberwolves in the kickoff. So my first league pass team of the week will be the Toronto Raptors. I will have a little bit of a breakdown kind of on how they're looking in their first handful of games for the season. But again, the floor is yours. I want to watch a lot of teams. I want to grow my basketball knowledge. And this is my first time actually utilizing league pass, so I need to learn how to figure out how to use it. I'm going to meet all your local announcers. I'll have breakdowns of them. It's going to be a real grand old time. But with that said, the Minnesota Vikings have beaten the San Francisco 49ers. They are now five and two. The Vikings are out of the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. Adler is flipping me the bird. And I think there's no better way to end a B team podcast on that note. So for myself, for Adler, for Mikey, for Steven Brett, excited to get you guys back on a podcast for once in a while. This will do it for us here tonight. Yeah, so we got, we're going to start out with the, doing the Boy Dodge Force, and we got two Boy Dodge Super fans with us here. They have an exciting offseason. I think we're going to mostly kind of focus moving forward. I think we've kind of, you got to kind of share your thoughts on the various trades a few times. So I think we need to kind of focus on the season now. Uh, kind of like one question that I've been kind of wanting to do is I get it with Kyle with the map that kind of want to maybe do another team or two too it uh what is like a, a lineup that you got to like moat looking forward to I feel like you got some young talent in it doesn't have to be like the starting lineup who do you think should start who, who who do you think should be out there at the end of games but it's like a shortened lineup you got to that's most looking forward to seeing 
I think I Brett, you could start with that one. I, I, yeah, Brett, you start with it. I, I have a feeling where you're going to go with it. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's a couple. One just in particular um, is a double big configuration with Aiton oh, and Time Lord. I don't know if that's their best lineup. It's certainly not going to be their starting lineup. I think that's been made pretty clear that Jeremy Grant's going to be the starting power forward, and I'm totally fine with that. Um, I, I tweeted about it the other day. Like, I really like the the pace they're going to play at. And I like that kind of smaller starting five, but I'm look just looking forward to seeing what Aiton and Williams look like. Uh, both I think are mobile enough to make that work. Um, Rob's a really good passer. Aiton's a really good shooter, at least out to like 18, 20 feet. I think he could potentially uh, stretch out to three a little bit. So like, I don't know if the spacing issue would be uh, quite as big of a deal, but I just think defensively uh, with their length and mobility, they could, really be just like something we haven't seen um, in Portland for a while. Cause you, you know, you said, so we were talking about like the full lineup, like you pair those guys with like, you know, I mean, you probably would have maybe like, uh, maybe even like Brogdon, like, and, sure. and then like, yeah, maybe like Shaden or even like, like Kamara or something at the three, like, like a little bit of three and D action there. You, you um, are too money filled right now, but yeah. Yeah, well, you're, I, you're I think he's going to get minutes, man. I think he's going to yeah. get minutes, you know, certainly at some point. Uh, but you could kind of plug anybody in there. But, but mainly just just seeing what those big guys look like together, kind of just seeing what they could be defensively. Because I think the lineups that they're going to go – like they're not going to be a good defensive team. Like they're, no. they're going to get killed with, you know, with, with Ant and Scoot out there together and, and whoever else, uh, especially if they're kind of on the smaller side. But I think they have the pieces to put together a pretty interesting defensive lineup, and it could be uh, a jumbo configuration, um, something along the lines of what the Cavs do, with like a couple small guards and then the, the two bigs and then kind of a three and D wing. So, yeah, the way I would think to approach the two big lineup if they're going to try it, I know a lot of people were calling for like Jeremy at the three. I just think at this point in his career, he's proven that he is most valuable as a four, like a floor spacing four, attacking bigger guys off the uh, off the catch. Like that's where he's at. I don't see a lot of minutes where you're going to see Jeremy, Time Lord, and Aiden together. But I do think Brogdon proves a lot of value with just his like his ability to be a connector, and also the fact that he's such a good spot up three point shooter. I think you need to have as much spacing on the floor around those guys. So the three guys that I would look forward to pairing them with would be Anthony, Brogdon, and Shaden, and have them be like non-scoot minutes. And like maybe just 10 minutes a night, see how it looks for like four or five minutes spurts each half. And if the spacing isn't working, it's not working. But if they like can really cause some problems down low, really clog the paint up and just change the geometry of the floor for a few minutes at a time, that's a totally different look than we've had. Um, yeah, so I was interested. I I don't know. I thought that uh, Williams is going to be shipped away almost immediately when that trade was made, and we haven't we're yet to see him on the court. Um, the only reason being, like, it's not that I'm a hater of his or anything. I do have question marks about his ability to stay on the court, which is very valid with him as a player. But I kind of thought the whole point of trading for DeAndre Ayton was like, let's see this guy cook. Let's like treat him like the guy for like 36 minutes a night, and then. Now you have a very reasonable position ba battle there. So they're going to have to figure out a way to get them on the court together and just see how it looks. The and one then you can move later. The one thing with Rob, though, is like there's a lot of incentive to limit his minutes. Like mm, when you look mm -hmm. at his injury history and his just 
relative foul proneness, right? But like mostly the injury history. Um, you know, I think you, I think you could justify playing him like low twenties for minutes, even though he's a much better player than yeah. that. Um, so, I, and I, I think they will kind of let Aiden cook and be the man and treat him that way. Um, but yeah, it's just like they're both so good that I, yeah, there's gonna have to be some overlap, and that's that's what I'm curious to see but i wouldn't be surprised if rob's minutes were like lower than most people would expect right probably in like the 18 to like 24 minutes a night kind of range yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he'll and he'll have opportunities to start like it's 82 game season so we're oh, gonna yeah. see how, how all the different looks go but that's a curious one for me the uh the lineup that i'm most interested in is the one that they started with the other night and it's the anthony the scoot shaden sharp at the three Jeremy Grant and DeAndre Ayton. Um, I think it's kind of like a future-looking uh, roster. It's kind of projecting like where we want to be because I don't think Shaden is actually ready to be a starting caliber small forward, even a two-guard, which is more natural position in this league. But I do think that lineup is going to play a lot together. Not sure if it's going to be like the day one starting lineup, but I think it's going to be a lineup that they they angle their substitution patterns to get to pretty frequently. Um I could see, you know, Matisse starting each half just to have like some, you know, defensive integrity on the court. But like six minute mark, you bring Shaden in and just like watch them, you know, try to play as fast as possible and as loose as possible. And they don't have a lot of incentive to win. I think that they are going to be more worried about the development of those players in the long term. So they'll start the season playing rotations that feature Matisse, Stiebel, and Brogdon quite often, but they're going to want to see what it looks like with Shaden and Scoot on the floor and getting them with the other three most valuable players on the team as often as possible, I think is good for their development. And that's what I want to see. Yeah, definitely. That would my Me and Mikey have been kind of chatting offline kind of throughout the offseason, and I've been kind of like, I, I kind of think they should even just start shop and the – my reasoning would have kind of like, I feel like even a thigh boot out there, they'll probably don't be pretty bad on defense. So you might as well just have Sharp out there sure. and kind of let him cook a little bit. But I definitely do, do think it's a fail point to maybe have some kind of defensive identity. But I do think the Blade would have kind of a good mix of not being like, I don't think they don't be like super competitive towards making the playoff, but they had, it not like they don't be like huge the Houston Rockets of the past few years where they just have five young guys out there and they are trying to shoot the ball. Like they have real veterans, guy that have recently made deep playoff one, guy that know how to get through uh, NBA heat and the ups and downs. So I do think that is a very good element that the Blade would have. I kind of wanted to jump off what Mikey was saying about Time Lord real quick. I kind of also thought that him and Blogan would only be shipped out right away. I actually kind of like that they kept Time Lord around. Um, and I think we all are pretty confident in Aiden, and we think that he's in a better situation now. But I kind of like that the, he had Time Lord behind him. So I think it's good for just from an organization standpoint to be like, yeah, like we get it, Aiden. Phoenix wanted a good situation for you. But you're here now. We're going to give you the touch it, but. Since we're giving you the touch-up, since we're going to have you the focal point, we expect you to, you know, to try on defense. We expect you to do your part in maintaining a good relationship with the coaching staff. Do all that stuff, and if, God forgive, God forgive it, Aiden kind of 
go back to kind of the old way where you maybe not twine it much on defense, then he'll sit on the bench and Time Lord will come in, you know? So I do think it's good from that standpoint just to like yeah. keep pressure on Aiden. The same is true with Brogdon and the young guards as well. Like there's an accountability yep. there just having them. And that's that's another thing is like I wouldn't be shocked if they were shipped sometime soon. I wouldn't be shocked if it's at the deadline. And I also wouldn't be shocked if they kept them around because Chauncey Billis clearly wants to develop like an identity and create accountability in the locker room and on the court. And those guys can definitely do that, especially Brogdon in that sense. Like that guy seems like a pro. I'm I'm surprised at how willing to be a teacher he is to the younger guards and like how supportive he is. I think if you like, you know, if you truth serumed him, he'd probably much rather be in a winning situation and he might get that wish fairly soon. But in the meantime, he's being the kind of locker room presence that you need. Yeah, I, I, definitely, man. I, I really do like that they keep kept them. And like I was, I thought that they might. Um, I because I really I think it makes a lot of sense for kind of the reasons you said. Uh, it's, it's crazy, like just to be this like super young, you know, rebuilding team, I guess. But then to have an elite backup center, maybe the best in the league, in Rob Williams, an elite backup point guard, maybe the best in the league, in Malcolm Brogdon, and like Thibault, like you've got some really solid bench pieces. Assuming that Thibault does come off the bench, that seems that seems to be like the one kind of spot in the starting five that's up for grabs right is that small forward with with Shaden and Thibel um and then I just want to correct to one thing I said about Rob Williams about him being foul prone because after I said that I just looked it up because I'm like so his first couple seasons in the league he was he was fouling quite a bit but he's really toned that down a lot now to where he's only committing like three fouls per 36 minutes which, which is very respectable for a a big like that like Jaron Jackson's probably five plus, you know, for, for to use an extre- extreme example. So credit to yeah, Rob Williams for, for improving there. Cause that, that yeah, was an issue make, his first couple of years. Make sure you go easy on Jaron Jackson. This is the bounce pass pod and not the overstated yeah. podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jaron. I love Jaron. You I, know, I, I do. Session of watch you on Jackson play at Michigan state. So yeah, Mikey Dwight. <laughs> he's, he's, he's improved though. He's improved in that regard as well. He's toned it down a little bit. It's still, he's still on the high end of the league, but it's not, it's not as bad as it was. So I always like to give guys credit for that. Cause that's an important thing for a, a big, that's so valuable on defense. The question I was kind of interested about is not that the Shelly white now, but if we fast forward through that she did who do you think at the end of the season will you guys think is the Bladeled batch player at the end of the season? Not necessarily who had the best few short. I think we all agree that would be skewed. Not necessarily who's the best player right now, because I think guy, some of these young guys might be able to take a step throughout the season. But, like, who do you guys think? I honestly think you could say, like, five or six different people, honestly. Like, Grant or eight, it might be maybe considered like the best player right now as we speak, but, like, moving forward, do you guys see one of the young guys kind of breaking through and establishing himself as the best player for that season alone? I'll let Brett take it, but we have the same answer. The same ant, sir? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for me, for me, that's actually, that's actually clear. Like, he's, like, right now and at the end of the season, like, I'll be surprised if um, Scoot's better than Ant, you know, at the end of his rookie season. And, uh, and same with Aiden. Like, I think Aiden's going to maybe have his best season as a pro, um, but I don't even think that's going to be better than what the season Anthony Simons is going to have and the player that Anthony Simons is. And I think uh, this year is going to finally be the year that, like, nationally people really catch on to how good he is. Like, Blazers fans, people that have watched a lot of the Blazers the last few years definitely know 
Uh, well, not all of them from some of the conversations I've had. Like, even Bla- some Blazers fans kind of sleep on him. But I think that's more they're just like, yeah, he's great, but Scoot's the guy. And they're just so ready to like, no. Is prior, this a, prior to Scoot that, be- it was, he's great, but Dame's the guy. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but we, we want to build around Scoot. Like, Ant's a bad fit with Scoot. He's nice, but we should train him. Like, there's a lot of that. But look, I think he's just a really, really, really special player in his own right. You know, the like Scoot, Scoot might struggle as a jump shooter, as a rookie, and maybe beyond. We don't know. I, I, I'm optimistic about his shot for sure. But we know with Ant, like, he's a monster shooter already and a freak athlete. Um, obviously, not the strongest defensive player, but I, I think. Yeah, no question. He's their best player. He's their leader. He's going to be their leading scorer. Everything's going to going to go through him. Like it's his team, and I think it should be. Really, this is the year that he gets to show his development in full. We've seen spurts without Damian Lillard around. Um, Scoot is going to have growing pains. It's natural. I think it's why they want to pair him with someone like Brogdon and Anthony for a lot of the minutes. And Scoot's shown that he can be like a willing cutter. He's shown a little bit of off-ball ability just to be able to hit the open jump shot, which I think teams are just going to dare him to shoot. It's great for his development to just take those and get him up as soon as he has the way he's shown it. He didn't have great success last night against the Jazz. Uh, a few nights ago against the Suns, he was looking a lot better. But, I mean, he's a rookie. Point guard is the toughest position to learn how to play. He's pretty lucky the guys he gets to pair with on a night-to-night basis. And Anthony has been in the same situation as Scoop for the last five years or so, uh, learning from Damian Lillard. And if you watch him play, some of the things that he does, like, you know, end of quarter clock management, um, shot clock management, how he knows how to get to his, his shot, the pacing and stuff. It's like he took it all out of Dame's playbook. And, like, Dame's always been a great, like, player coach, like, coaching up the younger guys. Anthony not only has, like, the wisdom and knowledge and like knows where to be on the floor. And he plays under Chauncey Billups, who was also a point guard, but he has the ability to do it. He has the ability to get to his shot, that little like snatch back dribble that he has and gets like squared up at any time. This guy's going to have great catch and shoot numbers. He's going to have great off the dribble numbers. Mm-hmm. He took nine threes a game last year playing with Damian Lillard. Now think of him with more minutes, more offensive freedom. Like he might be, the leading attempts and makes maker of three pointers in the league. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes up to like a 27 points a game kind of range and on like really good efficiency. And he's going to get the opportunities. I think the team has made it pretty clear that like they're building around Scoot and Aiden for the future. But right now the team is kind of Jeremy Grants and Anthony Simons. And Jeremy figures much more as like a number two player. Um, he's going to get more usage himself, but Anthony is going to be the engine that drives everything this year. And I'm, I'm really excited for him to get the notoriety on a, on kind of a national level in that regard. Yeah, we, we could be looking at Dame numbers. Like if he gets up to that volume, like on threes, mm-hmm. um, when you look at the numbers that he's put up in the past without Dame, you kind of look at the team around him and the role he's going to have. Like we could be looking at some, some crazy numbers for sure. And like your MIP pick from uh, our last podcast is going to be looking pretty good. I think regardless Last pick of and the like, pod. And, dude, he's, like, 24. I mean, he just turned 24 a couple months ago, I think, like, June or something. Like, he, um, he's super young. Like, he's really just getting into his prime. I, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I, I can't say who's going to be the best, you know, of all these Blazers young guys in the future. Like, who knows? It could be Shaden. 
you know, say we look out six years from now, like it could be Shaden. It could definitely be Scoot. I also think it could be Anthony. Like, and we, we don't know. And I just think a lot of people are so hyped about Scoot that they're just like, not even considering the possibility that dude, Anthony could be the best of all these guys. Like we already know how good he is and we know that he's going to get better. Like we know Scoot's going to be good, but we just haven't seen it yet. And so I'm not like knocking him. Like, I don't know, maybe my money would be on him if I had to pick who's the best long-term out of them. But I will say that it very well could be Anthony Simons. And I just wish people would like recognize that more, just how good he's been when he's had the opportunity and how much upside he has and just how dynamic he is as an offensive player, man. Like, like you said, um, off the catch or off the dribble, the way he, he uses screens, like, the way he uses his athleticism to pull up his finishing bag, like Lamar Hurd was talking about that last night, calling him um, like a top 10, most creative, a top 10, like a uh, guard creative finisher. I forget how he phrased how it. He just, it yeah. yeah. Just talking about like his ability as a finisher um, and his creativity and uh, his how many floater different, game too. His, his floater games, his floater game is sick. Like with all the hook shots, the, the, either hand either foot like yeah he's got kind a of like him and, Mac, him and maxi i think have the like the yeah. packages in the league that are like just prettiest to look at but also most effective it, and now we're gonna get to see him in more of an up-tempo offense which i'm really excited about because yeah. i think that suits him well like we saw a couple of the threes he hit uh in transition uh against utah and it's like yeah i think that's gonna suit him well because sometimes we forget just how athletic this dude is mm-hmm you know, because it's like he's kind of been playing in that that more slowed down offense. And um, he doesn't, you know, he, he'll do it in little bursts, but you don't see he's not like an overwhelming athlete throughout the game or he hasn't been. I think he's going to be able to show that a little more this season, too. A lot of highlights, I think. And there's going to be a lot of lineups where he's third or fourth most athletic guy on the court for us. That's pretty <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's an all time athletic team for sure. Yeah, they are going to be they're like the, the quintessential kind of league pass team. They've got young players. They get it up. The first two preseason games that have like meant anything um, that's against actual NBA teams. They're, both teams have 40-point first quarters. Yeah. It's just like, what, what are we doing here? This It's too much fun. I mean, I will say, like, yeah, they're going to be a bad defensive team, I think. But, like, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But, like, I, I will say, like, it doesn't seem like anybody's really playing much defense in the preseason. No, just no. like Kind of the next thing I kind of want to transition to. I feel like we have to have, like, a detonated – few minutes at least to talk about Scoot Henderson. Uh, I don't know if you guys have like a stat line in mind or you don't necessarily have to give me one, but what would be, kind of be your expectations for this season? Like, I obviously, he don't have some growing pain. You know, Mike, he kind of mentioned his jump shot might kind of come and go throughout the season. But overall, just like, is there like a short element of his game that you'll be watching for on a night-to-night basis? Just like, what are you, what are you guys just like looking forward to seeing with Scoot this year? I want to see him um, just occasionally go through stretches where he acts like he's the best player on the court. Even if the product is, if the result isn't, you know, coming out that great, like he has to have moments. I think that a lot of rookies when they're young are thrown into situations where they just get to hoist up all the shots. You think of like a Jalen green situation and sometimes it helps them grow. He, I really like his game. He's, kind of passive at times and even the like 22 points on good efficiency he had against the suns the other night it was like he was just kind of you know when the time to make a cut was there he cut 
when the time to shoot an open jump shot was there, he shot. But it's like, I want to see what it's like when he's just forcing the issue and just going down the teeth, of, like the teeth of the defense at full speed because teams aren't prepared for that and they don't want to see it. So it's like, I need him to recognize that like, yeah, for the majority of the game, it's in the team's best interest to get everyone involved because he's a very natural like team first guy. But there's going to be moments during the game where it's like, maybe Anthony's shot isn't falling. Maybe Jeremy's kind of disappeared a little bit or DeAndre's in his head. Rob Wells in foul trouble, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's the time that he needs to go like full Westbrook mode. And I want to see yeah. what that looks like for like three, four minutes a half. Just, yeah. just every few games. It doesn't have to be all the time. I definitely don't want him to be that kind of player, but I want to see like what him playing at a, you know, hundred miles an hour looks like. I like that. I like that. And I think some of the, kind of tentativeness that maybe we've seen in these couple preseason games is just like an adjustment to kind of having to play more off the ball. Like this is obviously a guy his whole life. He's been the point guard, the ball in his hands. Like, so even to just, he, and he still has that to a large degree, but even just to um, be playing kind of off ball that much more and have another guy like Ant out there running the point, like that's an adjustment to, for a guy that's been in that position kind of his whole career. But I'm with you though, man, like the guy that I compare him to is Derek Rose like that's if I had to have say there's a few guys his game reminds me of like John Wall is another one but like more than anybody it would be Rose uh the way he drives the way he gets to the rack the way he finishes just kind of like the way he uses his body strength um it's not quite as athletic obviously but that's who I would like to see him play like is like in like you said in those spurts um just super aggressive play like a young Derrick Rose you don't have to be shooting a bunch of threes or anything, you know, like I, that's another thing that I'm for sure going to be watching. Cause I think that's super important. If we're talking about like his ceiling as a player is um, improving as a shooter, I'm encouraged. He looks like a better shooter than I thought he was going to look like, you know, just based on everything before the draft. Like uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty encouraged to be clear, but I'll be paying attention to that. But, but at the same time, I do want to just kind of see him embrace his strengths mm-hmm. as a rookie and the jumper will come. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see some version of like little like D Rose just attacking like that because yeah, when he gets going downhill, man, he's tough and and he can still be like a a, a big time passer like um, even when he's in that mode, like he can be creating for others because that's what he's naturally inclined to do. But just being that aggressive, putting pressure on the rim like that will open up those opportunities and that's um, to create thing for others. The the defense is going to have to adjust if he does that, and then the passing lanes will become more open. And he'll capitalize on that like a motherfucker. And like he that's, will. That's, that's what he does. Like he loves to pass the ball, and he's you know he's he really is a um, an outstanding just playmaker overall. And you compared him to Derrick Rhodes and John Wall. Um, Westbrook gets thrown out there quite a bit too. These are just guys who like were freak athletes coming in. I think actually he's got a little bit less athleticism than some of those dudes for sure. But I do think his jump shot oh. is further along right now than any of those guys were, especially like the catch and shoot. It just looks cleaner. We we don't really have a large sample size of numbers to base it off of. And when he played for the Ignite, like his shooting numbers weren't great. The ball was in his hand all the time. If you just watch footage of him, you can see like that dribble pull up mid-range game is like, it's there. It's there anytime he wants it. I think that'd be a thing. Like if he was playing with less capable offensive players, he probably put up 10 of those a night. But it's like it's it's gonna come just a couple times a game. But I do think just it's spot up three point ability, like in that first game, I was blown away by just like, oh, he's not hesitating at all. 
and it's just like one fluid motion. It looks good off the catch. It really yeah. does. I, I'm in the same way. I'm like, man, this is this looks fine. Like this isn't even a concern for me at this point, yeah, at all, at all. Even though I expect him to, I don't expect a great percentage like as a rookie, but it's not a concern the way it even would have been with, yeah, those guys I mentioned, Westbrook, Rose, Wall. Like he, I agree. I think he's further along than them. So, lot to like about about Scoot, and I just love his confidence. Just like in it, not just how he plays, although you do see it on the court, but just his personality, just. The way he carries himself, like as a 19-year-old rookie point guard, to just like look that that comfortable, that confident already, like in his first couple games. Like, and I think a lot of that comes from his G League Ignite experience, like playing two seasons there against pretty much pretty much professional basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's got a Under lot to do with Jason it. Jason Hart, who, who seems to be like just an excellent mentor. I'm just waiting yeah. for an NBA team to say, let's snatch this dude up. Yeah, you oh, hear okay. nothing but like rave reviews about him. They were talking oh, about yeah. him on the broadcast, uh, speaking about Marjan Beauchamp during the Bucks Lakers game, and it's just like just keep hearing his name coming up. And it's like after you know the summer of like all the deep dive scouting stuff I did on Scoop, so much stuff was going attributed to Jason Hart. So that's yeah. a name to look out for, I think, in the future. One hundred percent. Yeah. The- I, I love the D. Woj comparison. You know, that was a good comparison to make with the two teams we're talking about on this pod. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the I wouldn't, like, with the board draft situation, I wouldn't, like, super following the draft, obviously. But I do – I'm excited she's cute. The one thing that the Ryan Bushiro said on his podcast that always kind of stuck with me while, well, like, holy shit. And I think he was kind of evaluating a little bit, but he was kind of like, he almost like feel like when shooting at his best, he almost feels like it was like the best combination of like Westbrook and Chris Paul. Where kind of like he had the freak athleticism, but then like on top of that, he had like the Chris Paul, like how he operates a pick and roll. Just like, the kind of like those two things put together where I was just like, I like didn't I wouldn't like watch any uh, like the G League and seeing how he would play, but just like that like that stuck with me. Well, like holy shit, like that sounds like an insane player to have like that kind of freak athleticism, but could also be like a four general like Chris Paul in the pick and roll. Like I'm definitely very excited to watch him. I think like that's from like the preseason and summer league that I've watched. Like I know it's kind of a common chain that almost any other year he'll be the number one pick, but I feel like that's like. I mean, that's not hard to be oh, pretty yeah. true. He might Wendy. He kind of live, living up to the hype so far, but uh, cute. I think, like, we don't look back and be like, wow, like, the boy Lord got him with the third pick, you know? Like, that would, like, yeah, really I, for the plan. I love Scoot. Got all the confidence in him. I'm not feeling good about my Scoot for rookie of the year pick right now. <laughs> yeah, but that's just because Wemby is uh, know, it's, it's nasty. Was, yeah, after because because yeah, we had our draft and he was my first. That was the first guy I picked in our draft was Wemby Rookie of the Year, and then he had that game. I'm like, yeah, that was yeah, no. that, yeah, he's insane. Um, what do you think about Scoot for numbers though? Riley had mentioned that in the beginning. Like, uh, I, what are we what are we thinking he's going to average? Just say like points, points and assists or whatever. Yeah, just like counting stats. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go fifteen and a half. Six assists, six boards, maybe like 43% from the floor, 34% from three, a um, couple turnovers, a couple steals, 
just, you know, a, a regular, really good first team all rookie year. And that's considering the kind of guys he's playing with. I think if he was in a different system where it was just like, just give him every touch, let him run, yeah. you know, 40 pick and rolls a game, he could get like, you know, 20 points a game, 10 assists, I think already at this point. They're going to yeah. develop him a little bit differently, though. I, yeah, I, I think um, I like uh, like Jaden Ivey's numbers as a floor for Scoot. I'd probably take Jaden Jaden Ivey last year averaged like sixteen four and five. Yeah. So I'd say maybe yeah maybe like sixteen five and six, maybe seven assists. I don't know. Probably like sixteen five six. Like I, I'm pretty much I think um, aligned with what you said. Like uh, not the most efficient, but not like dreadfully efficient either. Like probably more efficient even than Ivy was as a rookie. Like yeah, 43, 44%. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Ivy had see. stretches where he got to just run the show after Kate Geyer. Exactly. Oh but yeah. I, yeah. For, for a lot of the season, but there will yeah, be, for there'll sure. be, you know, a 10 game stretch. stretch I mean, they do see, the they do goals. see, they do see him as their point guard of the future. Like they, yeah, they do. Yeah. So like th- that, that'll shine through. Um, but they also Ant is so good and has been there, and like they, it, he deserves to for it to be his team. So it's it's an interesting dynamic between those two. But I think the Blazers front office wants nothing more than for it to work out between Anthony and Scoot, like as a pairing. It's, right. it's, they're not like building up Anthony as like a trade prospect. They've developed this guy from day one. Right. They took him with that pick. They. Uh, the front office, the team, social media accounts, the players, coaching staff, everybody raves and loves about loves this kid. They're not creating a competition here. They want them to flourish together. Oh, that's plan that's plan A, B, and C for sure. Uh, last couple years, I think it may be in play for this year. They kind of like put a historical tank job on the last month or two of the season, maybe that even kind of lenient on it. But uh, so that, I guess that could maybe happen again this year in Philly. But so it could kind of be all over the place. But I said 27 and a half on FanDuel. You got to have a number in mind for win total for this year? Anyone that's approached me about it, and I've had a few because there are people that are like, that seems low. It's a talented roster. Just going based off of what we've seen Joe Cronin's resume is, he is much he's not interested in chasing a play-in spot let's put it that way so anyone that's a gambler that's come to me like approaching me about the line i've just said make it a stay away like don't bet on it because if you know anthony simons turns an ankle in february or something it might just be it might be bottoms like brett and i are pretty avid fans we watch a lot of league pass the blazers are playing guys the last two seasons in the last couple months that like you don't tune into the nba to watch these dudes you know what I'm saying? So it's like, if I had to pick a number, I'd say 29 games, but I don't feel good about it. Um, I definitely wouldn't bet on it. So that's that's for all you gamblers out there. Stay away from betting on this team. <laughs> all right. I, I, you said the it was 27 and a half? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's low. Yeah, I, I'm definitely taking the over on that. I, I, I think they're... I think they have too much talent to not win 30 games. Like even if they, I mean, I, I, I definitely think that at the deadline, unless they're like somehow miraculously like way above 500 or something and just everything's clicking, like which would be incredible, but probably unlikely. Yeah. I think they'll look to definitely sell off some pieces. Yeah. Whether it's Brogdon or 
I feel like those guys could be traded any day. Like Jeremy Grant, somebody who could be moved at the deadline, and maybe Robert Williams. Like if they trade a couple of those guys, then yeah, the team probably does kind of bottom out. But I would still say they end up over, um, over that. Like I could see low thirties for sure. I don't think they'll be quite as bad as a lot of people uh, think they're going to be. And like, it is weird though because they've they've kind of tanked the fuck out of the last two seasons, right? Yep. Like they shut they shut Anthony down at. One season when Dame was already injured, like, and then last season they, yeah, they've been shutting everybody down. And uh, Blazers fans, like, a third straight year of tanking, it's easy to forget, you know, they've just tanked away the last couple of years, but like, three, three straight tank years is a bummer. <laughs> 